Hey, and welcome back to the history of China. Remember to go check out the website at dormroomhistory.com slash the history of China for maps, links, stories, videos, and whatnot for this episode, but also for my social media links and the donate button. Speaking of which, thank you, Samantha and Jordan and Stephen for the donation since last episode. Really, thank you. Now, where were we last time? Wait, wait a minute. Wait a minute. This episode is being recorded on February 3rd, 2022. Wait. Oh my. It's Chinese Lunar New Year. You are probably wondering why I have not covered this yet, and, well, like the history of Rome covering Christmas once, I thought I would want to do it right. And don't worry, the next episode in our timeline with our actual historical story should be out soon after this. Like, super soon. But I wanted to wait until this year to do this episode. Because, as some of you have ascertained, I am 23 years old, being born in November of 1998, meaning I am born in the year of the tiger. And this year is the year of the tiger. So, with that, let's learn a bit about Chinese New Year. So, without further ado, the History of China, Episode 46, The Year of the Tiger Special. So, let us do a quick little supplemental here. We will cover the history, some of the meanings, traditions, and the modern place of the Chinese Lunar New Year. Let me start off talking about calendars and, well, covering the obvious. In this show, I am using the Western Gregorian calendar, which was derived from the Julian calendar, which was derived from another and then another. Our calendar calculates, or tries its best, to calculate the time it takes the Earth to rotate around the Sun one time, something close to 365.25 days. Yeah, we need leap years to even it out. Point being, when I say, for example, on the show, that an event happened in, let's just say, 8 AD, that was not how it was written in the old Chinese histories. I'm simply using a standardized date format that most modern histories use. And AD and CE, by the way, is roughly saying what most school children probably already know if you grew up in the West. CE and AD are the same indicator. They're the same literal meaning, with 8 CE and 8 AD being identical in actual time and place, but one, more modern and PC, stands for common era. The other, AD, stands for after death. That death being that of Jesus Christ. So, obviously, that was not going to be taken in by the Han Dynasty Chinese or really any of the old Chinese civilizations, and to that matter, most civilizations. In China, or at least in more older versions of Chinese civilizations, they followed a lunar calendar, based around the moon's cycle as opposed to the sun's. Quick fact, this is why Chinese New Year isn't on the same day every year, because it's based in a slightly different astrological cycle. But that is not my specialty. I was liberal arts, not science or astrology or astronomy or any of it. So let's walk back from today 
to the inception. And we will all learn together more about Chinese New Year, especially in, well, my most auspicious year, the Year of the Tiger. Today, Chinese New Year is celebrated all over the world. However, I will be remiss to say that Lunar New Year's is only taking place in China. While I do clearly have a vested interest in China, I mean, I have a show on it, lunar calendars were and are still common across Southeast Asia. So don't ask a Korean if the holiday they are celebrating at the same time as Chinese New Year is Chinese New Year. That should be a self-evident question because it is not Chinese New Year. In Vietnam, for example, it is called Tet. Different countries, same time frame, slightly different holiday. Point being, East Asia celebrates the lunar cycle, sure, during the same time period, but the traditions, some of the meaning and whatnot are not the same across the board. They're not even the same within China, sure. The general outlook of these lunar holidays is the same more or less across the board. I mean, it is treated as a very positive time to be with family and to celebrate and to feast, but I cannot stress this enough, they are not the same holiday. Christmas has those exact same themes, uh, coming together, sharing, celebrating, but that doesn't mean Christmas is Chinese New Year. You catch my drift? I could make an entire podcast series all to its own on each unique celebration of the Lunar New Year across the world. But alas, this is the history of China, and I will stick to what I am somewhat well-versed in. So, in 2022, the Chinese New Year started on February 1st, and it will last 16 days until February 15th, though... Sorry, you don't get 15 days off work because only the first seven days are considered a public holiday in modern China. And on the 15th, the last day, is the famed Lantern Festival. This year generally, in terms of our dates this year, February 1st to the 11th is known as the Spring Festival, while the 12th through the 15th will be preparation for and the actual occurring of the Lantern Festival. During our time on the history of China, I have constantly mentioned how things in ancient China, compared to Rome, and really most other civilizations, were simply on a larger scale. We talk about the bigger armies, the better technology, the more advanced economic systems, and, I mean, all of it. Engineering projects, and, well, for a lot of things today compared to the West, that still holds true. What do I mean? China is a country of 1.2 billion people, and every Chinese New Year, hundreds of millions of people hop on buses, planes, and trains to go home to family for this holiday. For context, the United States saw some 54.4 million people travel for Thanksgiving this year, and that is a pretty universal holiday in the United States. Most people celebrate it to some degree. And for further context, According to ABC News, this year, some 260 million people have traveled in the 10 days after January 17th in China for this holiday. That's before the holidays even started. And you thought Thanksgiving was a busy travel time. This is, by the way, even with China's extremely strict COVID measures and preparations for the Olympics, this is truly 
on a different scale. In fact, this is the largest movement of people on the planet every year. Literally, it is. And it is hard to picture the chaos and the scale of all this movement off a podcast. I understand that. So, as a first for the history of China, I will have a movie recommendation. It is very good, though my essay on it in Chinese class at college was not graded very well. Ah, wasn't my finest work, but the movie is Last Train Home. The movie is a documentary that follows a couple, both migrant workers, who venture from the city where they work to the countryside for the holiday to see their family. It sounds pretty straightforward. It is not. It dives into a lot of what modern Chinese civilization has become, a lot of the modern problems, and, well, just an interesting look into a society that is really not understood as well as it should be. But that in itself, by the way, is a large aspect of this migration that I will not delve too deep into. Many in China move away from the countryside to the city for work in China's breakneck growth industrialized economy. Since 1972, China has gone from an agrarian-based society to a clearly urban one. And every Chinese New Year, 130 million-plus migrant workers will venture on a journey back home. The modern makeup of China is not what we're covering on this show, though. So I will leave links on the website for stories, articles, and this movie recommendation of Last Train Home to help fill you in. It is truly an incredible feat of logistics that anyone of those millions is able to get home with all of that congestion. And that's a lot of people for a reason, because this is not exactly a loose holiday. It's not a bank holiday where you get a day off. No matter where people live, all family members are expected to return to their hometown, wherever that may be. If they for some reason truly cannot make it back, the rest of the family will leave a spot at the table for them. And they'll put the plate out, the silverware, the utensils, the cup, all of it. They will leave it. You are expected to come home for this. Okay, so you are home now. You've done your journey. Now let's discuss some festivities, shall we? For snacks, expect to see baked seeds, something that came out of northern China during the Ming Dynasty, peanut candy, and popped rice, which... That was coming from southern China, and ox tongue pastries, just to name a few snacks. No, 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 no ox tongue is literally used in the making of the pastry. It just sort of looks like one. You have the long oval dough, maybe a little bit of red pigment, some aeration holes. I can see where they're going with it. After snacks, though, let's quickly touch on food. And look, again. This is an extremely rudimentary look at the holiday. This should not be anyone's definitive account of a holiday that is much older, much more important, and much bigger than me. I am simply trying to provide light to a holiday many do not know anything about. So to the food, this may be in the literal winter, but it's near the end, entering into spring, and thus, one big dish is spring rolls. You guys should know what those are. They're delicious, by the way. Starting during the Jin Dynasty, which I know we are not at yet in our regularly scheduled program, but starting in the Jin Dynasty, 
which for context was 265 to 420 CE, spring rolls began to be, well, the high-end food, a must-have. A plate of them was called a chun pan, which would literally mean plate of spring rolls, and they would be given out by an emperor to officials as a reward. And rumor has it they were worth a lot, worth thousands. So they were the thing to have. You wanted spring rolls back then, and based on my Uber Eats order yesterday, I clearly also still want them. And you should too. Past spring rolls, jiaozi or dumplings to you English speakers, as well as noodles are big mainstays. And again, this varies region to region, household to household. But one dish with more meaning is that of steamed fish, or zheng yu. This dish is comparable, sort of, in a bad analogy to turkey on Thanksgiving to give some context, albeit with much more meaning and much more tradition than a local bird from North America. Blessing and being auspicious is paramount for this holiday, and this dish holds all of that meaning through many different ways. Not the first time this will happen this episode, so pay attention, but words and characters sometimes look and sound the same. Yu, meaning fish, has the same sound as yu, which roughly translates to surplus. In China, it is common to turn to your family or neighbor and wish them the blessing of nian nian you yu, which roughly means wishing you have surplus, you know, of money, food, etc., every year. But now you know, fish has the same wording. So then the fish takes a symbolic role as wishing surplus for the year to come. Oh, and the meaning does not stop there. In many households, half the fish will be eaten at dinner, with the latter half eaten the next day. Meaning, you create the surplus. You show within this dish, you create surplus and create a prosperous future for yourself. And on top of that, the fish as a whole represents a family, a, a whole unit, living in harmony. But this episode will get way too deep into the weeds if I concentrate on every region's dish. But quickfire. Hunan cakes the fish in red pepper. In Hubei, chicken soup is traditionally the first meal of the new year, and in Hunan and parts of Sichuan, hot pot is crucial. Because an emperor, Emperor Qianlong of the Qing, was absolutely crazy about this stuff. Now, I love hot pot, but in small doses. Look, I am from the Midwest, after all, and mayonnaise is pushing it on the spice scale for me. Hot pot's fantastic, by the way, and if you like spicy food, I recommend you go get some immediately. But who can forget about Nian Gao, which directly translates to year cake? <laughs> I did that on purpose. Now you know why I say roughly translates so much. Chinese and English don't match up perfectly. Anyway, it roughly translates to New Year cake, or is otherwise referred to as rice cake. Back near our actual narrative, though, it was offered up to the ancestors and gods as sort of a sacrifice. Like the you-you situation, though, you know, you fish, you surplus, the gao meaning cake in the name has a similar sound to gao meaning tall, or high. Thus, with Nian Gao, you are indicating this year will be higher than the last. 
And there's a lot more food to cover, and I recommend you check out the website to see some more links and some dishes. I'll even maybe throw in a recipe or two. But you ate now. So what about all those red and yellow signs you may be seeing? I mean, here in Charlotte, all the buildings are adorned with bright red and yellow LEDs. Back in, let's just say, the Xin Dynasty. Well, it wasn't because pyrotechnics play a part in this story, so they didn't have those back then. But this, like the Xin, is a myth. So, a beast named Nian ravaged the land during this holiday. And Nian, by the way, happens to be the same character for a year. Yes, this all wraps together very nicely. Anyway, Nian was sort of a half-dragon sort of creature beast, and you will see him portrayed as a beautiful, multi-man, life-size human puppet of sorts during these dragon dance-esque performances you may see during the New Year. Nian wasn't just there looking scary, though. He wasn't just some creepy half-dragon creature that scared people senseless. He would eat animals, and people, and most often of those people, children. You can see how this became a very good bedtime story, right? Yeah. The story goes that everyone began to realize this would happen. That Nien would come and ravage their animals and their children, if not themselves, and thus would get out of town for the holiday to avoid, well, being eaten. Who wouldn't? Prudent move. But then one holiday, a drifter slash beggar wandered into town. He was looking for a place to stay on his travels, and maybe, if he's lucky, a warm meal. It was the Lunar New Year, after all. It's a time for celebration. But to his shock, and probably disappointment, the entire village had gotten out of Dodge. It was a ghost town. Except for an old Nainai, an old grandma. She said, hey, come inside. And he was so taken away by this act of generosity during this crazy time with the beast Nien, that he said he would get rid of the beast to repay her. Once and for all, he was going to do it. Well, what did he do? He decked out all the doors in red paper decorations, and according to some stories and some versions of this, with the word Fu written in some gold. Fu, by the way, means luck. But at some point, according to some stories, the character flipped upside down. It sort of just fell over. And in this story and in some of the histories, the upside-down foo, which means luck, began to look like the character that would mean pour out. Thus, another auspicious thing is you put the foo upside down and it indicates that may good blessing pour out onto this house. Nevertheless, Nian came to the village looking for his meals. But the village was decked out in red cards and all this red, and Nien did not like that. Not one bit. And just as he was frazzled by this one lack of people or animals, but this abundance of red, the beggar lit off a slew of firecrackers and scared Nien senseless, and he ran. And Nien, according to some versions of the story, even saw the beggar. Which, by the way, would have been his only meal ticket that night. But the beggar was also clad in red. And that was a no-go for Nien. And he just, well, got out of Dodge immediately. Nowadays, red is adorned everywhere. For that story, on one hand. But don't think that's the only reason. 
There is a lot of symbolism in red. It is a very, very lucky color in China, as from many other myths and stories. I mean, look at the flag. And yes, because of this, firecrackers being shot off is a major part of this holiday. And yes, there are again other reasons, but this plays a very big part in that lore. We in the West shoot off pyrotechnics too. Funny how the world works. Civilizations independently create holidays with similar themes and traditions to a degree with no idea that the other civilization was out there doing the same thing. It's almost like we are all human at the end of the day and share the same DNA. Hey, look, let's not get that meta right now. So let's go over one more tradition, the red envelopes, the Hongbao. That is the small red bag or envelope, colored, well, yeah, red, that contains money. And that money is considered lucky money. The direction these gifts go in terms of who's giving it and who's receiving it do change area to area, time to time, family to family, with some focused on children receiving it, others on elders, others on both, and some with no generational meaning for this good fortune signal. And, well, this all relates back to our old beast, Nian. If you couldn't get out of Dodge and get out of town and go hide in the mountains from Nian, you could use the envelope or the money inside of it to bribe Nian. Another version has it that Nian was so scared of a coin that a kid had accidentally slept with under his pillow that the family realized, oh my, and walked around with the coin in a red envelope to show everybody Everyone did it, and they were protected. There are different versions again, but generally, the coin is good luck and can protect you from yin. And lucky money is something I really want to mention a little more because this was out of, what's that? The dynasty this podcast has gotten stuck in for over a whole year? Yeah, it comes out of the Han dynasty. Back then, collectible coins is probably the best way to describe them, with, with no actual monetary value were given out. Which, yeah, I know, if you've listened to the last couple episodes, you might joke and say, well, the Han Dynasty was minting coins with no actual monetary value anyway, but look, that's not the point. Collectible coins with no actual monetary value were given out. And they would have phrases of virtue and other auspicious meaning etched into them. And to double or triple or even more your luck, they would be tied together with red string. You've probably seen these pictures will be on the website. But time has passed since the Han Dynasty. And it turns out, it's a lot easier to put coins into a red envelope because, well, do you know how to tie knots? And I should point out, if you haven't seen the pictures or some of the older episodes, old Chinese coins, and even some today, are shaped like a donut. There's a hole in the middle, meaning you could actually tie through them. But okay, that's a bit of background of some of the practices and traditions and myths. What is this actual calendar, though? This is the year of the tiger, so what does that mean? In a terribly inexact comparison, the solar calendar goes in about four-year cycles to reset, with our leap years. The Chinese Lunar New Year revolves between a 12-year cycle, with 12 different years corresponding to 12 different animals, this year, Year of the Tiger, according to a well-worded online source, indicates that people born in Years of the Tiger are vigorous, ambitious, 
daring and courageous, enthusiastic and generous, self-confident with a sense of justice and a commitment to help others for the greater good, end quote. Honestly, I don't believe in the modern astrology of Scorpios or Virgos, but I got to admit, I can't lie. That describes me pretty well up there. If you are a tiger, meaning you were born in the year 1998, 2010, or in the last 48 hours, though I don't know why your parents are playing you this podcast, keep an eye out for the colors blue and green, the numbers 1, 3, and 7, and the direction of north. Those, my fellow tigers, are generally pretty auspicious things. Though for every auspicious thing, there is an equally inauspicious thing, so fellow Year of the Tigers, try to avoid the color white and the number 9. It is also stated on this source on what the Year of the Tiger indicates, and again, this sometimes changes a little bit between person to person, but tigers can be very rebellious, often too self-confident to want to coordinate or communicate with others. That leaves them frequently lonely. Okay, oh my, this is getting too deep and personal. Let's pause that there. So check out the website for more granular info before I get into my feels reading about all my shortcomings and insecurities. But there are 12 animals, as I said, for 12 years. And this is the basic story. So in this, make sure to cheer for your corresponding animal. So the story goes like this, quote, Long, long ago, there was no Chinese Zodiac. The Jade Emperor, yes, first couple episodes, wanted to select 12 animals to be his guards. He sent an immortal being into man's world to spread the message that the earlier one through the heavenly gate, the better the rank the animal would have. The next day, animals set off towards the heavenly gate. Rat got up early. But on his way to the gate, he encountered a river. He had to stop there owing to the swift current. And after waiting a long time, Rat noticed Ox about to cross the river and swiftly jumped into Ox's ear. Some stories have it on his head or his back. Anyway, the diligent Ox did not mind at all and simply continued to cross the river. After crossing the river, he raced towards the palace of the Jade Emperor and suddenly... Rat jumped out of Ox's ear and dashed to the feet of the emperor. Rat won first place, and Ox was second. Tiger and Rabbit came third and fourth because both are fast and competitive, but Tiger was faster, and Rabbit got across the river by hopping on stepping stones in a floating log. Good-looking Dragon was fifth and was immediately noticed by the Jade Emperor who said Dragon's son could be sixth. But Dragon's son didn't come with him that day. And just then, Snake came forward and said that Dragon was his adoptive father, and so Snake ranked sixth. You see where Sneaky Snake and sort of backstabbing and lying and slithering comes into this. Anyway, Horse and Goat arrived. They were very kind and modest and let each other go first. The Jade Emperor saw how polite they were and ranked them 7th and 8th. Monkey, however, had fallen well behind, but he jumped between trees and stones and caught up to be ninth. And last were Rooster, Dog, and Pig. And those 12 animals became the guards of the Heavenly Gate. 
end quote. Now, not mentioned in this story, but I should have mentioned that this was in other versions I have heard growing up. You might be wondering where in the world is cat? And I mean like house cat. Yeah, sure, tiger, but look, I mean cat. The story allegedly goes that Rat said he would wake up Cat in the morning, but he's a rat, and he didn't, and ended up winning, while Cat, lazy, slept through the entire thing and didn't get a position as a guard of the Heavenly Gate, which explains, one, the personality traits of rats and cats, but can also explain why they are bitter enemies till the end. Anyway. The symbology and meaning and some of the other Zodiac stuff regarding this calendar will be on the website soon. Okay, so that was just a little fun supplemental about Chinese New Year. Again, I cannot stress this enough. This should not be your final definitive version of what Chinese New Year is. This is just a way to get you curious, to do your own research, and to experience it for yourself. And remember, if you are not Chinese or from China or so be it, remember... This is not a joke. This is a very serious, serious holiday for billions of people. I mean, very serious. And treat it with respect. That's all I can ask. It is not some trivial time to wear red and shoot pyros, though. Now you know a bit about it, maybe you can now celebrate it and try to feel the true magnitude and beauty and history behind it. It is bigger than me, bigger than you, and yeah, it creates the largest human migration on Earth every year. So, enjoy the holiday. If you listen to this, you now have a better remedial understanding of this super important time of the year, or as I said, literally billions of people. So, remember to check out the website. This is probably the best time to do that, to see the links and whatnot on this. Because I have, I will admit this, barely even touched the surface. But till next time, Nian Yu, Yu, thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you all next time on the history of China.